Kick back, relax, you're on a stagecoach in the sky. Leave all your cares behind you, we'll get you high. Hello, and welcome to Jawadawa, part four, Desperate Measures. Wednesday, chapter 16, Contractors. Nick Reynolds wakes up in his office as the sun rises. He is face down on his desk in a pile of drool. He is still wearing his shirt and trousers. His tie is tied around his forehead like Rambo, and he has been using his suit jacket as a blanket. The bottle of Thunderbird is sideways and empty on his desk. For some reason, one of those airport shoeshine machines is also propped up on his desk, and there is a dirty pair of ladies' panties tangled up in it. He steps into his bathroom and we can hear him splashing water on his face. Then he suddenly hustles out of the bathroom and attempts to push the shoeshine machine off his desk. It refuses to budge. He grabs the panties and heads back into the bathroom and we hear more water splashing. When he comes out he has fixed his shirt and collar. He picks up the bottle and tips it back, trying to suck the last little drop out of it before finally giving up and tossing it in the trash. Okay, Nick. You can do this. You're in charge. Everyone looks up to you. He slaps himself and then shakes his face back and forth a bit before grimacing in pain and grabbing at his head. He looks out the window where we can see fire trucks driving by. He sighs and picks up the phone. As he dials, he pulls the panties out of his pocket and wipes the moisture off his face. Joe, morning, it's Nick. Yeah, 6 a.m., another beautiful day here in sunny Southern California. Yeah, yeah. Say, I don't suppose you could get down here a bit early today. We got all these contractors flying in, and I could really use an extra hand today. What do you mean you have the day off? What happened to circling the wagons? Oh, come on! Fuck your kid's birthday, Joe! This is crunch time! Seriously, you want to make a wish? Wish that my Stacy Adams don't fit up your saggy ass next time you see me? He hangs up the phone. Fuck. There's a knock at the door. Come in. The door opens, and there is a guy dressed as a plumber there. Well, he's dressed as Luigi from the Mario Brothers. He's wearing a green shirt and hat with blue overalls and gold buttons. He has a bushy mustache that is obviously fake. He's holding some kind of satchel. Nick Reynolds, I presume. Yeah, don't rub it in. Are you ready for a shocker? Oh, fuck. Is this another stripogram? It, it's 6 a.m., asshole. Nope. You've been served. He pulls an envelope out of his satchel and hands it over. He slips out. Fuck. Cut to the arrivals hall. Reynolds is greeting his team of contractors that have just arrived from Wausau. They're all wearing high-tech looking jumpsuits and are carrying some impressive looking gear. They have military haircuts and are all wearing sunglasses and have fancy earpieces like Secret Service men. 
They are all about the size of Schwarzenegger and have the facial expression of the Terminator. On a few, we can see some Navy SEAL tattoos. One gets the impression that they all serve together. One of them, Contractor 2, uh, is played by Wayne Gretzky. Morning, guys! What's up? The contractors all look at Reynolds like he is made out of dildos. We understand you have a problem, sir. Oh yeah, buddy. A huge problem. Contractor 1 nods curtly to Reynolds and then does a bunch of military-type hand signals to his boys. They fan out, surrounding Reynolds. Several of them whip out tricorders and Geiger counters and start sweeping the place. One of the contractors lets out a low whistle. Chief, get a load of these readings. He turns his tricorder thingy towards Contractor 1, who does a double take. You shit me? He turns to Reynolds. You seeing this? This is the worst reading I've ever seen. 47.3 Jones units per nostril? Mister, you have yourself a serious shit pile here. You should never have let it go so long. I just hope it's not too late. He shakes his head. Too late? Uh, hell, no, it can't be too late. You guys have to do something. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was that bad. Jones units? I, listen, there's got to be some way to save this place. Don't you have a... I don't know, a bug bomb or something? Sir, we're going to conduct a thorough inspection of the premises, and from there, we'll decide the best course of action. If, as I fear, you've put things off for too long and things are too far gone, the airport will be condemned and evacuated until such time as it can be decontaminated. Reynolds squeaks and starts trembling. <laughs> Contractor 1 looks at him like a disappointed parent looks at their fuck-up kid, then does a few more hand gestures. The crew disperses, leaving Reynolds alone in the corridor. Fucking... British fucking Hoffman and his mystical stench. If he'd done his fucking job in the first place, I'd... He stops as though he just realized something. Wait just a minute. No. No, it can't be, can it? An Indian burial ground. Fuck. Is this Amityville International now? He screams. <sighs> and starts walking towards the exits muttering to himself, It can't be, can it? Fuck! Fuck! Stupid Hoffman! Stupid real fake Indians! Reynolds bursts out into the daylight of the loading zone. Jesus is standing there smoking. A taxi pulls up and Reynolds gets in. Orange County Historical Society, step on it! The taxi peels off. Jesus tosses her cigarette butt into the street. An airport cop comes up to her. Did I just see you littering, ma'am? Your mother sucks cocks in hell. She lights another. Talk to me when you're kosher. She blesses him and walks off. There is a montage here of various contractors falling victim to the airport's nastiness. If we uh, could afford it, Fountains of Wayne Radiation Vibe would be playing in the background. But we can't, so uh, we made our own song. The montage starts with the contractor played by Gretzky in the men's room, running one of those colonoscopy scope things down a sink drain. He has an industrial-grade face mask on, 
but he's still wrinkling his nose. Something comes bubbling up out of the drain, brown and mucky. Gretzky tries to yank his scope out, but it's stuck. The harder he pulls, the more stuck it gets, and he's splashing the muck everywhere. Finally, he gives a powerful pull on the sink comes off the wall with a huge jet of brown muck blasting, covering his whole head. You hear a sizzling sound, and he starts screaming. Dragging the sink and trying to run. Dunks his head in a urinal, clean it off. When he pulls it out, his hair has been eaten away. Another contractor in front of an electrical panel, holding a zip drive looking thing. You see the panel, lots of plugs with labels like secondary systems, runway lights, parking garage bollards. He sticks his zip drive into an outlet labeled Environmental Integrity Systems. There is a power surge and he is blown back. Sparks are jizzing from the panel. The contractor slides down the wall, face blackened, hair burned off. We see a third contractor down in the basement below the baggage claim. The door to the TP room has been welded shut and plastered over with caution tape. He follows his tricorder to a wall where there is some sort of greenish-brown sludge seeping down. The sludge has partially corroded an old sign reading, Danger, Falling Bag Zone. Someone has snapped a three-inch schroeder onto the bottom of the sign. He pokes at the sludge with a screwdriver or something and then pulls out an aerosol can and sprays the sludge down. Just as he finishes, there's a heavy thud from above and a huge Samsonite comes flying off the belt above him. It strikes him in the upper back, and he is sent sprawling into the sludge aerosol mixture, head first! He moves to stand up, but it seems his head is glued fast to the wall. He struggles for a while and tries to get at his phone, but he fumbles it, and it falls just out of his reach. Finally, he lets out a tremendous battle cry. against the wall with all his broided up muscly strength. There is a ripping sound and he comes away from the wall without his hair. His scalp looks raw and there are bloody welts starting to form. Next we see a fourth contractor inspecting some old service tunnels under the airport. He enters a manhole and climbs down the shaft, ending up in a crawl space filled with pipes and wires and stuff. He sees on his tricorder a message saying, Gas leak detected. And he clicks on the button marked, Trace. He puts on a gas mask and follows the maze of tunnels until he gets to a large pipe with a crack in it. He pulls out some sort of green putty from his tool belt and he starts kneading it together. Cut to Jesus out on the sidewalk above, finishing another cigarette. She flicks the ash off and then... Tosses it out into the street, where it falls through some kind of grate. Camera follows the cigarette as it bounces through the excess tunnels until it drops right on the head of the contractor dude. There is a small explosion, and he is thrown back. When he gets up, he is missing his hair and eyebrows. Next. We see a fifth contractor heading into the main atrium area where the John Wayne statue is located. The place is full of protesters who are shouting and carrying banners such as No JW, You Stand Aside, and 
I'm sorry. Are we selfishly hogging your airport? Take some readings with various devices and takes a couple of soil samples from various potted plants. Finally, he seems to be getting a very strong reading from the statue and pushes his way into the crowd. Unable to quite get at it, he announces in his soldier voice that this area is being scanned for biohazards. Please clear the area. As expected, the crowd becomes hostile and starts booming and throwing food and rubber tomahawks at him. He turns to get security, and someone screams, Enjoy your smallpox, honky cat. And a blanket is thrown over his head. Security comes, and the protesters scatter. The contractor goes back to scanning the statue, but soon starts scratching at his head. He is getting really important readings, but is distracted as something seems to be biting the crap out of him. He keeps scratching, and then finds a louse crawling across his hand. Get to bathroom where we see the contractor leaning over the sink with a razor, removing his hair, and finding his scalp totally covered in bites. Cut to the chief. Number one is out in the hangar area, where they park all the old abandoned derelict planes. Over on one side, there is a steaming mess, where it looks like several large oil drums full of barbecue sauce must have recently been lit on fire. However, he pays it no mind. He's on the track of some serious stank. His tricorder is bleeping like a radar, getting faster and faster as he gets nearer to an old busted-down Braniff L-1011. He pops the hatch, climbing up the gangway into the plane as though leading a SEAL raid. His tricorder starts bleeding, and we see it rates 57.9 Jones units. He shuts it off and goes down the central aisle peering under the seats and into the seat back pockets. He finds a peck of peanuts, which he starts snacking on. Something rumbles overhead. He draws his Febreze gun and pops open the overhead compartment. Initially, it looks like a shadowy mass roiling in dim light until he shines his pen light in there and we see it is full of rats and old abandoned bottles of Nair from a leftover carry-on from 1977. The rats startle and the whole mess tumbles over. The rusty hands explode, spilling out onto his head. The rats screech and squirm over him and get into his suit, distracting him while the nair drizzles down from the overhead bin. Number one flails and smacks at his head. But the rats are chewing him up, and the nair is sizzling his dome clean. He races down the aisle, knocking open more compartments from which more rats burst. Finally, he is out, tripping and falling down the gangway stairs, crushing a bunch of rats and coming to a stop, groaning and crumpled in a pile. A seagull dive bombs him, pecking at his head, coming away with the last tuft of his hair. The rats run off in all directions. Wearily, he calls for backup. But there is no reply. Scene 17. Research. Scene opens with a cab pulling to a stop in front of an old Victorian house, from which hangs a shingle reading, Orange County Historical Society. Cut to the interior of the cab. Reynolds is 
patting his jacket pocket, looking for his wallet. Ah, shit. I I left my wallet in the office. He pulls a bunch of crumpled paper from a pocket and then unfolds them, smiling. Hey, would you take a bunch of coupons for the chowder hose? What? The cabbie thinks about it for a minute. Well, uh, it is my anniversary tomorrow. I guess I could take the old lady out and get her to suck off the old chowder pipe. He reaches back. Shut up, pal. You got yourself a deal. Hey, uh, all right. If you stick around to take me back, I'll I'll cop your second bowl. The cab driver nods and grunts and then <laughs> tips his chair back and closes his eyes. Reynolds gets out and bounds up the steps and into the society. Cut to society interior. It looks like an old-timey bordello. Red velvet and brass, overstuffed chairs and settees, an oil painting of Anaheim in 1870 or something, a faux Ming vase full of peacock feathers. Behind an ornate wooden counter, there was a woman, late middle age, dozing with her mouth open, the Sunday Times crossword open before her on the countertop. It is Ada Wayne, uh, fantasy casting Kathleen Turner, the docent. Reynolds steps up to the counter and waits a few moments. Ada gives a loud snort and continues to sleep. Reynolds knocks on the countertop. She gives a louder snort and wakes up, <coughs> frantic. Oh, oh, goodness. I didn't hear you come in, sir. Please forgive me. She wipes the drool from her lips. The crossword always knocks me for a loop. It was my late husband's idea of foreplay. Uh, well, uh, no trouble. Sorry to interrupt. I was just hoping you, um... He pauses, looking closely at Ada. I'm sorry, but you look terribly familiar. Have we met? Ada tucks her hair behind her ears coquettishly. Well, I dare say you may recognize me from my film career. I used to act in spaghetti westerns in Italy in the 70s, under the name Ricerca de Fagioli. Hey, holy beans! That's right! I saw you in the rusty wagon wheel when I was in college. Ah yes, one of my favorites. That scene with the water pump and the blind dwarf. Totally improvised. Uh. Anyway, how can I assist you today? Well, I'm on a bit of a quest, you might say. I'm wondering if you have any sort of information about the area of land where the airport was built. What it was like before. The airport, you say? John Wayne? Yeah, that's it. She nods and motions for him to follow her. She leads him down a hallway and into a wood-paneled reading room. There are stacks and stacks of banker's boxes with labels like Brothel Receipts 1900-1907 Turd Wrangling Rodeo Photographs Ephemera 37th Annual Mustache Cup As they walk, she's talking. As I recall, Howard Hughes bought some unused land from the county back in the 20s. But as for what was there before that, I'm not certain. She goes to one of the stacks and pulls a box labeled Orange County Land Records, 1900-1930. It is packed full. 
She hefts it and sets it heavily down on the desk where Reynolds has sat. Much of dust poofs up. <coughs> oh, wow. Uh, thanks. Uh, would it, would it be too much trouble to ask for anything you might have about Mr. Wayne himself? I know he lived here for a long time. Oh, he did indeed. She saunters off to find the Wayne material. He definitely left his mark on the area. She comes back, carrying another box marked Marion Morrison. You know, I don't like to brag, but Mr. Wayne was a relative of mine. Ada Wayne is my name. No shit. I'm related to Burt Reynolds. Wonderful. Well, I'll let you get to work. Can I offer you some refreshments? Oh, please, that would be lovely. Ada takes her leave, and Reynolds opens the box of Wayne stuff. We see a bunch of black and white headshots, old papers, press clippings, a small porcelain cup with a weird half-moon-shaped bar across the rim, two shriveled-up fig-looking things, and a thumb drive with a white label attached reading, Copy, John Wayne Colonoscopy, 25 June 1978. Reynolds quickly snatches it up and holds it up to the light. He peers around as though making sure he is alone. He quickly grabs his phone and jams the thumb drive into the port, uploading the colonoscopy film. We see the progress bar get stuck at like 97 for an agonizingly long time, as we hear in the background Ada returning. Just as the door opens, the film uploads. Reynolds whips the drive out, tosses it back in the box, and pockets his phone. He is ostentatiously looking innocent as Ada sets a tray of ginger snaps and orangina before him. Well, there we go. Tell me, mister, what was your name again? Uh, Reynolds. You know, like, Bert. He tries to edge the Wayne box away with his elbow. He's starting to sweat. Reynolds. Is there something specific you're looking for? Perhaps I can be of assistance. After all, I'm not a docent for my health. Well, to be honest, it's a little, uh, nutty. He dabs his forehead. I love nuts. Reynolds files that away for later. Um, yeah. See, my, uh, my former employee seems to think that there's some kind of Indian burial ground on the site of JWA. He says it's the cause of all the, um, uh... He waves his own comment off. Oh yes, I've seen the papers. Seems like a real mess. Personally, I fly out of Van Eyes. Van Eyes? That place will put hair on your back. Any, anyway, I'm hoping to find out if there's any truth to the idea. I don't understand. What does that have to do with John Wayne? No fucking idea, ma'am. That's why I'm here. He cracks open the orangina and takes a huge gulp. <sighs> he burps <clears throat> and tucks into the ginger snaps. And then he looks at his watch. In fact, I better get to it. I got a meeting with a fudge man later. I also like fudge. Reynolds nods. Oh yeah? Ada smirks and leans in close. Okay, Mr. Burt Reynolds, I'd like to make one thing clear. As a docent, 
I can't prevent you from accessing any of the public records. But as a member of the Wayne family, I can assure you that we don't look kindly on the besmirchment of our most famous member. So, whatever it is you think you're going to find in here, she pats the boxes. I strongly advise you to make sure that nothing reflecting poorly on Mr. Wayne ever sees the light of day. Uh, got it. I read you loud and clear. 1040. Ada pats his cheek and turns and walks out. Reynolds takes a deep breath and starts digging into the OC land records. <sighs> Time passes. We see him poring over sheets of deeds and transfers, old photographs. There was one press clipping about a movie being filmed on the old side of the airport back in the silent film days, but nothing anywhere about Indians. <sighs> nothing. Reynolds stands and stretches. <sighs> well... It was a long shot. He quickly devours the rest of the cookies in the orangina. <sighs> After he's done, he takes out his phone and looks at the colonoscopy video. Well, maybe not a total loss. Cut to Reynolds walking back down the hall to the front desk where Ada is sitting. She's changed into a silk robe and done up her hair. Reynolds likes what he sees. Oh, Bert, you startled me. <laughs> Did you find what you were looking for? Not at all. In fact, I'd go so far as to say it was a total waste of both our time. Ada looks hurt. To make it up to you, let, let's say you and I find some nuts and fudge. He looks at her all awkwardly flirty. Oh, but... She extends her hand, and Reynolds slides over the countertop. They embrace and make out, sinking to the floor out of sight. Cut to Reynolds leaving the society and jogging to the cab all springy-stepped. He gets in and the cab driver jolts. Eh, JWA, my good man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how'd it go in there? Reynolds fishes out his phone. Pretty messy, all in all. We see his phone screen. He navigates to the JWA internal site clicks on the About Us link. We see a bunch of shit about who JW was, his career, how he suffered from ass cancer. Poor guy. Everyone loves an ass cancer fighter. He clicks on a link that says Upload Media and a pop-up tells him only an administrator can upload to this section. He types in his authorization and uploads the Duke's colonoscopy to the airport site. There. That should shut up those protesters. Who's gonna bitch about a man fighting the big C? Especially the big C in his big A. Beg your pardon? Reynolds thumps the roof with joy. Just drive, man! Drive! The scene ends with the cab merging onto the freeway. The big A can be seen in the background. Scene 18. The Golden Snitch. Thursday. The scene opens with Reynolds meeting Fudgeson over breakfast at Greg's. They are having breakfast burritos. Reynolds has a cup of marinara while Fudgeson has opted to go for the vegetarian chili. Fudgeson starts dunking his burrito in the chili. Hey, gotta eat healthy, right? 
He flips open his briefcase and pulls out a legal pad. Okay, down to business. I have to say, I regret giving you a week to turn this place around. Well, yes, sir. I, I know a week isn't really enough time to produce results, but some good has come out of it. Your ultimatum has really kicked us into high gear, and we're finally starting to get to the bottom of things. I know things look pretty bad right now, but when you go to remove a hornet's nest, you're going to kick up a lot of trouble. Yet in the long run... No, you misunderstand me. I regret not just firing your ass on Monday. He pulls a stack of papers out of his briefcase and slaps them down on the table. Who the hell is shock, hey, Herbert? Oh, yeah, a, a freak accident. Actually, it was another patron who knocked over the body scanner. I don't think he has a case. Well, he sure thinks he has a case. 2.1 billion dollars. That's a shockingly high number. Well, I, I've spoken to his lawyer, and I think we can reach an amicable settlement. Fudgeson reaches into his briefcase and pulls out an even larger stack of papers. We're just getting started. Seal Team Sanitation. Please, God, tell me you have hair insurance. What? What the fuck is hair insurance? Fudgeson buries his head in his hands for a moment, trying to stifle a sob. <laughs> He pulls an even larger stack of papers out of his case. Actually, it's a stack of stacks of papers. The chocolate fountain. Actually, sir, I'm already on top of that. Hamilton discovered that the take a pilgrimage to JWA jingle was playing over the loudspeaker at the time, so we flagged all the YouTube uploads of the event as intellectual property of JWA. We've already taken in $2.3 million in advertising revenue. I was able to afford a top-notch lawyer that wants to pin everything on Orkin. And, uh, they're insured up to the eyeballs. Wow. Budgeson puts down his burrito. That's, um, uh... Okay. You have until Monday. But don't make me regret this. He gestures with the breakfast burrito dripping in chili. Hamilton enters, dragging along a strange little man by the collar. Hey, hey boss. Uh, security caught this guy in baggage claim, rifling through people's dirty underwear. He's, uh, he says he's working for you. Yeah, is it my fault? Literally everyone owns a black travel pro? Reynolds turns and sees the exorcist. He is a short but extravagantly dressed man in his mid-fifties. He's wearing a white silk suit with paisley tie and pocket napkin. He has a greasy pompadour hairdo and looks something like if David Copperfield's little brother had a bad spray tan and a coke addiction. He is wearing elevator shoes and Ghostbuster cufflinks. Oh yeah, he's the new guy, the, the medium. Azul Inspector, right? Azul Inspector. He pronounces it correctly for Reynolds. He's a medium. What's a small look like? Hamilton lets go of the exorcist and the little dude shakes off as if horrified by the filth of being touched. Hey, hey yeah, I I've seen you on TV. Aren't you the guy with the... Reynolds aggressively interrupts. Okay, uh, come with me. I'll, I'll give you the tour. He turns to Fudgeson. I don't need until Monday, sir. We got this puzzle solved. 
Just two more hours, and John Wayne Airport will be stank-free. You'll swear you were smelling Dallas Love Field. They head out of the food court, where they encounter Sinbad hawking a new free product. Peepel. There is a fresh banner over his booth reading, Make your own delicious soft drinks. A smaller sign reads, Environmental Product of the Year. Sinbad holds out a little baggie full of red powder. Good day there, sir. Now you look like a fellow who likes to recycle. Hey, not not today, pal. We uh, thank you very much. The exorcist takes the little baggie and stuffs it in the breast pocket of his jacket. He pats the pocket, then winks at Sinbad and taps the side of his nose. Um, actually... Jesus arrives. Hey there, bad boy. Hit me with another packet of your strawberry. I just had a king-size orange Julius. Strawberry, eh? Sorry, but we're fresh out, but we got tons of other flavors here. Grape, asparagus, shrimp. Oh, what's this one? Jesus pulls another red packet out of the bin. Oh, cinnamon. Damn, I didn't realize we had any of those babies still in there. My you don't anymore. <laughs> Looks like it's my lucky day. I hope Satan likes it spicy. Camera pans back to Reynolds and the Exorcist, who are suddenly overrun by a swarm of paparazzi and news teams. Oh my god, it's him! It's actually him! He's arrived! I can't believe it, folks. The Golden Snitch. We follow the swarm past Reynolds to one of the arrival gates where a few of the teams have just arrived for the World Smear the Queer Championship. We see the chalk outlines, who mostly seem to be a bunch of middle-aged software developers with beer guts, the rumble ponies, a variety of dude bros with backward baseball hats, and Mommy Smearist, an all-lesbian team. In the middle of the Mommy Smearist group can be seen a single, skinny, somewhat effeminate male in his mid-thirties. This is the Golden Snitch. Fantasy casting, Clay Aiken. He is easily recognizable by his tall blonde faux hawk, which is spray-painted gold. Upon his arrival, the reporters seem to be going wild. They're shoving through the other players to get at him. Mr. Snitch, can you confirm the rumors are true that you are playing for the other team now? Yes. What did it take to get the best player in the history of the game to switch sides? Well, gentlemen... Let's just say I was offered a generous package. Some of the other teams seem to be annoyed by the reporters and start trying to shove their way out of the crowd and making noise. Hey, Snitch. How's it feel to be the most overrated player in the history of the game? Yeah, I bet I could run fast too if I did as much coke as he does. Reporter 1 turns to the other team. Are you accusing the Snitch of doping? The Rumble Pony player steps forward into the camera. Absolutely, with testosterone. Mommy Smear's team charter says only lesbians can join. That's a disqualification according to the WSMTQA rules. Seriously? What the fuck, Ralph? I'm as much a lesbian as your mom. One of the Mommy Smear's players, Large Marge, comes to his defense. Yeah, what the fuck? Who are you to say what's in his pants? His? Hell, even you admit he's not a lesbian. Well, well, I'm as lesbian as they come. Hell, I've eaten more pussy than Alf. Yeah. I'll eat your pussy, asshole. <laughs> <laughs>
Rumble Pony player shoves the snitch hard and moves to start kicking his ass. But Large Mars intervenes. Not if my pussy eats you first. The rather heavy-set Mommy Smearest player grabs Ralph by the neck, throws him down on the ground, and straddles him with her crotch. She begins to give him a proper Rumble Pony. This seems to incite the crowd to action, and an all-out brawl ensues with all three teams and the reporters caught up in the free-for-all. Scene 19, Exorcist. Scene opens with Reynolds following the Exorcist around the airport. Azul is walking up the powered sidewalk with the Amtrak display the wrong way, moving very slowly. He is chanting in a mystic language. Carrying something that looks like a steampunk Geiger counter. Over his left arm, he has a little satchel, which he periodically reaches into and pulls out some sort of smoldering incest wand, which he waves around, spewing colored smoke here and there. Occasionally, passing travelers get a face full of smoke and start coughing. Finally, Reynolds has had enough, and he taps the little man on the shoulder. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm paying you by the hour, so what do you think? Do you not touch the great Azul when he is gaping wide open to the spirit realm? Reynolds makes a sour face. The exorcist puts his finger up to silence Reynolds and stop him in his tracks. As they are paused, the walkway begins to move them all the way back to the far end again. The exorcist does not put his finger down until they are all the way back at the start. Finally, he speaks. This very bad place. Something very wrong happened here. Then he begins slowly walking back down the walkway the wrong way again. Reynolds throws up his hands. Noticing he is starting to sweat, he reaches into his pocket for a cloth and comes out with the panties from the previous morning. He stares at them for a moment and then gets out his phone. Cut to the air traffic control tower. Jenny is sitting at the control panel, headset on, talking to one of the planes. Her feet are propped up on the panel and she's sipping out of a large Starbucks venti cup. Okay, John, I can get you a gate, but what are you gonna do for me? Uh, land? Where are you gonna land that big plane of yours, John? Um, on your airfield? Oh, what are you wearing, John? A random air traffic employee, Chad, pokes his head in the door, interrupting her. He is dressed like a pirate or a three musketeer or something. She quickly puts her feet down when she hears the door. Huzzah, Mistress Jenny. Twas but the work of a moment to complete my end of day forms. I shall see thee on the morrow, milady. He winks and bows. Jenny waits until he closes the door and then mutters. God, what a fucking creep. She listens carefully until she hears the elevator whoosh, and then she pulls out a key, pops open a locked filing cabinet, and pulls out an oversized bottle of Tanqueray. She tops off her venti Tom Collins and goes back to the radio. I'm like a man in a uniform, John. Which runway are you going to land that big old Boeing of yours on, John? Um, where, where do you want me? Oh, 
Let's say the back runway today, John. Can you do that for me? Her phone rings. Oh shit, it's Reynolds. Gotta go, John. She pulls off the headset and picks up her phone. What the hell do you want, Nick? I have a job to do. You know I'm up to my welty ass cheeks and pilots that want to go down on me here. This better be important. Uh, um, well, just seeing how you were doing. There was something awkwardly suggestive in Nick's tone. What the fuck, Nick? See, I knew you'd be mad at me. I'm so sorry. Let's just forget it all happened. Wait, who the fuck did you mean to call? God, I, I knew this would be awkward. That's why I didn't call you until today. Because? Well, um, you know. No, I don't know. Out with it, Nick. I, I, uh, I found your underwear, Jenny. I'm sorry? I found your underwear on my desk yesterday. Nick, I, I don't wear underwear. What? Duh. You mean I didn't give you a shiny hiney? A what? Fuck. Really? Shit. Who, who the hell do these belong to then? Uh, uh, okay, gotta go. He hangs up. Jenny stares at the phone for a minute confused and then puts on her headset and twirls around on her chair. Okay, John. You still... Shit! As she spins around, the cord for her headset catches on her Starbucks cup, and her entire Tom Collins spills out onto the console. It starts to spark. Fuck! 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 Flames start coming up out of the control panels. She grabs a Renfair cloak off the office coat rack and begins to beat at the panel with it. Some weird dice roll out of a hidden pocket and scatter around the room. The cloak gets soaked and starts to smolder. Outside, we see two airplanes try to land on the same runway at the same time, missing each other by inches. We can hear the sound of airplane horns blaring at each other like a New York traffic jam. Captain Reynolds. He hangs up his phone. The exorcist is impatiently waiting to talk to him. Well, that was awkward. What did you find? There are definitely active manifestations here. Some of the strongest I have ever felt. There is some unspeakable power at the core of all of this. Uh, but you can fix it, right? The exorcist stares at Reynolds as if he is as thick as a pile of double-stuffed two-by-fours. Such phenomena are rare. But usually they have a center, some sort of collective intelligence. I think it is time I took a look at this source. You must have some idea of where it is. It is probably small, claustrophobic, full of strange objects or occurrences, and uncomfortable to dwell in or even to think about. Yeah, I think I know the place. Down here. He pops open a side door, revealing a maintenance stairway down. Cut to Reynolds unlocking the multiple padlocks and chains that have been screwed into the door to the teepee room. Don't say I didn't warn you. The door creaks open eerily, and a slight purple cloud puffs out. It sweeps over the exorcist's face, and he turns immediately green. By the milk of the silver nipples of Iapos! <gasps> He staggers a bit, then pinches his nose and covers his mouth. 
<coughs> he tries to shake it off, but it suddenly overwhelms and proceeds to vomit on the floor. Wait, elevator Chuck Taylor's. Finally, he gathers himself together and shuffles into the TP room. Holy fuck. Yeah, pretty weird, eh? Azul reaches into his shirt and pulls out some kind of finger bone on a chain. He starts waving it around. With the other hand, he pulls out the Geiger counter device and begins to take readings. The minute he switches it on, the Geiger counter begins to squeak like a mouse at a crack and cheese party. Zibari! Of God's disciple protects me from you, demon. Oh, wow, is, is that a St. Jerome finger bone? The mother superior at my old grade school used to have three of those. You wouldn't believe what she could do with them. But, hey, I thought you didn't believe in that God stuff. Shh, it is not what I believe. It is what the spirit believes. He pulls out a gold Swarovski-encrusted spray bottle and begins to spray holy water everywhere. Suddenly, the Geiger counter slows to a trickle. Well, that's all it took? I figure you'd bill me at least a grand. Now you fool. The presence is not vanquished. It has merely fled. This is no longer the center of the manifestation. Something has already forced it to move somewhere else. It was merely residual energy that I was able to calm down here. Azul begins to poke around the room and starts lifting some of the old posters on the walls. These paps, where do they go? Cut to Fudgeson, who is wandering the food court, patting his belly and cleaning his teeth with one of those little dental floss stick things. He's thinking about dessert and comes across soft serve somebody. He gets in line. But just as he gets there, some random fat guy slides in right in front of him. When he gets up to the register, the guy suddenly realizes he needs to order something and starts reading the menu board. Welcome to Bob Dylan's Soft Serve, somebody, where everybody must get coned. What would you like? Um, just a minute. What, what do you got? Let's see, um, just like a lemon... Ballad of a Thin Mint. Positively Fudge Street. Mm. All along the watermelon. I threw it all a sigh. What's a sigh? It's like a Brazilian blueberry. I can get you a taster spoon. Eh, no, no thanks. Um, John Wesley Cardamom. Visions of Banana. Mr. Tangerine Man. What's the difference between the meaty quince and quince the Eskimo? Well, both start with our delicious homemade quince jam folded into our organic slow-churn premium ice cream, which you can try on its own as our quince jam approximately. But then, quince the Eskimo is deep-fried like a baked Alaska, while the meaty quince has bacon. Right. Noggin' on Heaven's Tort? Ah, one of my biggest hits. Well, we start with my granddaddy's own secret eggnog recipe. Age that for two months. And then slow churn it into ice cream. And then 
Add bits of my grandma's famous flourless chocolate tort. Oh, wow. What about one more bowl of coffee? Oh, oh, or uh, cloves, Slick. I love cloves. Oh, I'm particularly proud of that one. It's a marriage of the finest hand-picked cloves from the Indies, ground in a stone mortar and mixed into our sweet cream and studded with candied garlic cloves. Uh, oh, um, not, not sure about the garlic... Fudgeson is slowly going tornado standing behind the slow guy. Finally, he pushes him to the side and begins ranting. For fuck's sake, just fucking order already. Some of us have airports to shut down. Bob Dylan and the fat guy look at him as if he's being incredibly rude. Then the fat guy goes back to the counter. Green tea, rosemary, and the jackfruit tarts. Ooh, that sounds good. I'll take a waffle cone of that. Ah, also... Like a waffle cone. One scoop or two. Uh, two, please. Uh, I forgot. I'm on a diet. No problemo. Bob Dylan gestures to a sign by the register that reads, Make mine a zero slash no sugar. Wow. You can do that? We can do that. He moves to start scooping. Fudgeson decides to give up, but he can't squeeze by the fat guy, and when he turns around, another large family is piled up behind him. He starts trying to undo the cordon from the nearest pylon. There must be some kind of way out of here. Oh yeah, I'm also a vegan. No problemo, Monsignor. Bob Dylan gestures to a different sign by the register that reads, It ain't meat, babe. Vegan alternatives available. Wow. Dylan hands him his cone. He takes a few bites. Oh my god, this is amazing. Finally, Fudgeson gets his chance. He steps up to the counter, cracks his knuckles, pulls out his wallet, and announces in his big boy voice, One scoop of your finest vanilla, my good sir. My what? V vanilla. Surely with all these ridiculous flavors, you must have some vanilla ice cream back there somewhere. Well... Maybe I could recommend the salted leche of the lowlands. It's basic, but more of a caramel. Oh, there is a... If you see her, say Oreo. That's our bespoke hand-picked vanilla with fresh Oreo chunks. Jesus, Oreo, are you kidding me? Well, who's being picky now, sir? The guy in line behind Fudgeson is starting to get testy. Come on, you old fart. Pick something. I promised my kid a Bob Dylan waffle cone for his birthday, but I'll be damned if I have to spend five more minutes in this stench hole of an airport to get it. Oh, okay, okay, just a minute. What have you got that doesn't have Oreos? Well, if you like cookie dough, doughin' in the mints is our top seller. But if you want to be daring, there's also hibiscus and wine revisited. Or are you a sorbet guy? What about the ballad of fresh key lime and juicy peach? Or everything is Loganberry? Or I, I know, Tanqueray lime and chilies. Hey, hey, what happened to vanilla? Funny, people are going to be asking what happened to your face soon, bub. The random dad shoves Fudgeson to the side. 
Fudgeson tries to push back in the line, and the much larger man simply body checks him away. Fudgeson slips and falls on his ass. A couple kids in line start laughing at him. <laughs> okay, Bob, make it quick. A double scoop of swirl from the nougat country and Maggie's corn. You got it. Fudgeson picks himself up, grumbles, brushes off his suit, and then turns and walks away. As he goes, he looks over his shoulder and fires off an attempt at a face-saving last word. God damn it, Bob! Why can't a man just fucking get vanilla anymore? Cut to Reynolds with his exorcist. They are just approaching the little B-Gate satellite food court area where the chocolate fountain incident occurred. There is still a cordon around the area, and a single orange cone covers the drain pipe where the chocolate fountain used to be. As they approach, the exorcist's equipment starts to go haywire. There is definitely powerful energy here. I've never seen anything like this. Can you move the cone, please? Uh, yeah, sure, it's not heavy. Reynolds moves the cone, revealing the stub of twisted metal that is left of the standpipe. Oh, no, you did not cap it off. Well, uh, our team of crack plumbers had some incidents. This is tremendously bad. He shuts his Geiger counter off and it keeps ticking. He whacks it and even takes out the battery and it's still going. We must evacuate this facility. What's going on? The spirit that inhabits this place, it is ancient and powerful and very malicious. You must have had some kind of mystic here, self-trained but full of raw talent, for someone had it contained in the room below with strong medicine. Tragically now, it has been pushed out and it has been unleashed fully into your plane. I can feel it here with us. It is trying to speak to me. I dare not let it, for I might lose myself forever. It is so strong, and its name, its name is... Joadoa. Joadoa. What? i never heard of it. The exorcist returns back to his own voice, but he appears distracted and he is no longer reacting to the outside world. No, go away. I must, I must resist you. You must destroy that dare. No, go back, foul demon. Go back to the realms of night. The exorcist pulls a road flare out of his satchel and scrapes it across a bit of sandpaper glued to the bag. It flares up. He starts waving it around and chanting, People around start freaking out and running away, screaming. A few pull out their phones and start filming. Cut to Reynolds' point of view. Suddenly we see strange colors start to blur into the scene. He lifts up his hands and starts staring at them. His fingers grow and shrink in length. Oh, fuck! Flashback! As he stares at his hands, in the background of his view, we can see a Native American brave step into view. He is shirtless, wearing buckskins and beads. He has three different orcas painted on him, as if they are swimming through him. 
one in his face and two in his chest. This is multiple orcas swim. He picks up a chair from the table outside the chocolate shop and carries it over to the exorcist. Reynolds thinks this is all just a part of his flashback until he hears people in the crowd yelling. Oh my god, did that chair just move by itself? Before Reynolds can decide what to do, multiple orcas swim, climbs up into the chair, faces away from the exorcist, bends over, takes down his buckskin, and lets out a tremendous cheek-flapping fart. The road flare ignites the gas from the fart, and it turns into a flamethrower aimed right at the face of the exorcist. His hair goes up like a Roman candle, and his silk suit starts spouting flames. He flails around a bit, catching a rack of newspapers on fire at the nearby airway shop. This sets off the sprinklers in the shop, drenching the store and soaking the goods and painters inside. Finally, the exorcist falls down on the floor and starts rolling around, until security comes running over with a fire extinguisher and hoses him down. He looks unpleasantly still. Well... That saved me a lot of money.